0: Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. Now, We started a new series last week called Gentle and Lowly. The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Uh it's based on uh the book of the same name by uh Dane Ortland. Uh, but really this series comes out of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter eleven. Verse 29, specifically where he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And if you were with us last week, you might remember me mentioning that this is the only place in Scripture where we have Jesus actually describing what he's like. I said there's a lot of places in Scripture where we see what Jesus does, but this is the only place, specifically in the synoptic Gospels, where Jesus hones in on what he is like and in his own words he says what he is like and he says that he is gentle and lowly And so uh, during the course of this series, over the next weeks to come, we'd love for you to uh, engage with us with this content and these concepts uh, during this series. One of the ways that you can do that is today by picking up a free copy of Dane Orland's book, Gentle and Lowly. They're just out there in the lobby on the table. uh, And really want to encourage you to pick up a book if you're committed to reading it alongside us over these coming weeks. We think that this is going to be a really good... Uh, companion to getting the most out of this series and strengthening our understanding of what Jesus is like. And, and as a community, um, maybe you caught it on the way in here, uh, we want to be a, a community that is practicing the way of Jesus together. And so this is only going to help to strengthen us to know exactly what Jesus is like. I'm excited. Are you Are You excited to be here today? Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Um Hey, turn with me, uh, if you will, to Matthew chapter 14. If you have a Bible, great. If you have a phone, awesome. If you want to just follow along up on the screen, you can do that as well. As you're going there, um, I just want to say today we're going to see that what Jesus claims with his words, he proves with his actions. What Jesus claims by what he said, he proves by what he does. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14 will be our key text for today. And it says this. When he went ashore, that is Jesus, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, the context of this particular verse in Matthew's letter is that Jesus has just found out that his dear cousin... John the Baptist has been executed by Herod. It's kind of a sick and twisted story. But if you remember, uh, it was a gift (laughs) to the queen. And uh, she recommended or requested that his head be brought to them on a platter. Uh, So quite a gruesome way to go. Um, And uh, this is Jesus's first cousin. Jesus just gets wind of this news. And it says in verse 13 that Jesus withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And you can almost you can almost feel the raw emotion here as he gets away, gets by himself, likely to grieve and reflect upon what is just what he's just heard. Not only was this a close family member, but this was John. The one guy who really got Jesus. The one guy who before anyone else said of Jesus, this is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the one you should follow. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. Well, not long after Jesus had gotten away to this desolate place, it says that he went ashore. However, when he came upon the shore, it says that a great crowd of people from nearby towns had also gathered there. So Jesus could not just do the getaway trick, right? There was no limo to take him off. There was no green room to enter. He was in a boat going from one side of the lake to the other, And they saw very clearly that he was going to land there, and they all just showed up. They began to tell their friends. They began to show up where Jesus was headed to. And then it says, when he arrived, it says he had compassion on them. On page 26, Dane Ortland says in his book, the Greek word for compassion refers most literally to the bowels or the guts of a person. It's an ancient way of referring to what rises up from one's innermost core. This compassion reflects the deepest heart of Christ. Now let's be honest. If you've just received this type of news about a close family member passing and you're grieving and you're physically and emotionally and mentally exhausted because you've just poured yourself out in, in teaching You've poured yourself out in healing. And just a few days earlier in chapter 13 of Matthew, there's a story about how Jesus gets rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. So family member is killed. Jesus is rejected in his hometown. And now he's tired. Tired. This is what he comes over to the shoreline with in him. Do you think... That you, in this situation, would be naturally generous with people that have gathered wanting something from you? I know I wouldn't. I mean, that seems like a lot. And you could say, well, it's Jesus. He can handle it, right? Sure he can. But absolutely, he was fully, what, man and fully divine. We'll talk about that in a little bit here. But Jesus experienced all the emotions that a human does. When Jesus saw the crowds, when he saw that they had needs, what did he do? He moved toward them. Not away. It says he moved toward them and he healed them. He set himself aside for others. And this is key. It wasn't out of begrudging obligation. But it was out of a core level compassion. This is something that Jesus felt deeply inside. It it moved him to take action. And this compassion, it comes in waves over and over again in Christ's earthly ministry. We see it over and over again. Specifically in In, in Matthew chapter nine, where in verse 36, it says, traveling from town to town, he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. Matthew 15, verse 32, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. It's kind of how we feel about you guys at the end of a, you know, a service. <laughs> Jesus cares. He cares about lunch. He cares about people. He's moved with compassion to care for their needs. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. He had compassion on them and he, and then he began to teach them many things. So Jesus has compassion on people and he heals them. Jesus has compassion on people. He feeds them. Jesus has compassion on people, and then he heals them. Are you picking up on this pattern today? The natural impulse of Jesus when it comes to people with needs is to act with compassion. This is his knee-jerk reaction. He operates this way over and over and over. You will not find many places in the Gospels where Jesus isn't moved this way at people's needs. There are a few places in the Gospels. There's one place particularly where it says, um, you know, he didn't he didn't tell them right about who he was, or he didn't heal them. There are those places and so what about the other side of Jesus we talked a lot about you know in the past two weeks and uh, about the gentle lowliness side of Jesus but what about the harsher side of Jesus is there that is is Jesus just compassionate just lowly just gentle well I mentioned last week that Jesus isn't always Mr. Nice Guy okay okay Yes, gentle and lowliness best describes who Jesus is at his default, but at the same time, this is not who Jesus is for everyone. And this is a real key to get. This is who Jesus is, gentle and lowly, for those who come to him. And perhaps this is one of the reasons why Jesus, after his just be, I can just imagine being just wrung out, just being poured out, spent. This is one of the reasons why he responded to the crowd of people on the shoreline with compassion instead of frustration. It's because they recognized that they had a need. Jesus had the answer, and so they came to him. Do you see what's going on here? They came to him in the first place. But Jesus was also very clear for the people in his day and for the people in ours. And perhaps you remember me mentioning this last week as well. But a few chapters before we see where Jesus is gentle and lowly, there's a warning. This The context of our series also falls into the larger framework. There is a call to repentance. There is a warning that Jesus gives that encompasses this whole idea of of who he is. And it's spelled out in Matthew chapter 11, just a few few chapters before. In verse 24, it says, But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now, again, that seems like another side of Jesus right there. doesn't sound like the gentle lowly jesus that we all love to gravitate towards jesus holds the tension of who he is and when he talks about this it's in the context of righteous judgment upon those who will not come and those who will not repent and will not turn so we need we need to hold the tension like jesus does here we need to seek the balanced view of from the scriptures that accurately describe who he is and what he does. There's a really good section on uh in the book on page twenty eight and twenty nine where Ortland talks about heresies in the early church. He talks about the early centuries were sort of riddled with heresies, and a lot of it had to do with um, around the deity of Christ, the personhood of Christ, and how many of these false teachings uh, were, were circulating back then. And and what I love about what Ortland points out is that a lot of the uh, teachings about the nature of Christ were, you know, though they were around the idea of being fully man and fully divine, which is a whole thing that we could spend months talking about, He points out that it's not these ideas about Christ that were completely and outrageously upside down, just that they were most often lopsided. To that point, J.I. Packer, author, pastor, and theologian says, a half-truth masquerading as the whole truth becomes a complete untruth. Thought that was really helpful. Orland then goes on to lay out three Really helpful ideas on this point alone, this idea of getting Christ lopsided. Because I think we do it today as well. I think that's what he's pointing at. We love to gravitate towards the Jesus that maybe makes us feel the best. We love to gravitate towards a God who looks just like us. Um, Orlin points out three ideas on this point that we can that we can use to strive towards a more balanced view of Christ so that we also don't build a lopsided view of who he is. And so, you know, we don't have time to cover it here today, but I want to encourage you to go back. I want to encourage you to read that section this week because I think it would be really helpful for us. Back to Jesus and the gentle, more lowly side of Jesus, the compassionate side. Actually, I just want to make a comment. Sometimes we talk about it in in, in two different ways. And Ortland also points out in the book that it's not that Jesus has like one side that's opposite of his other side. The tension between gentle lowliness and righteous judgment are one and the same. You're going to find that out as you read. There's something much deeper going on behind the scenes in Jesus's touch of compassion. See, in the Gospels, we read about Jesus' deepest desire to move towards the leper and the prostitute and to move towards the paralytic. But what we might not readily catch is that whenever he's moved towards someone in need, he was, in fact, reversing the Jewish system. And the best way to understand this idea is against the backdrop of an Old Testament category known as clean and unclean. Clean and unclean. In biblical language, the Levitical categories of clean and unclean didn't necessarily refer to physical hygiene, but to moral purity. For Jewish people, the result of being unclean didn't mean that you need to take a bath. It meant that you need to, t- to make a sacrifice. And they had constructed this highly sophisticated system of varying degrees of uncleanness, And in turn, various rituals and offerings that were needed to be made morally clean once again. And this happened over and over and over. Animals, objects, food, clothing, and even people could be considered unclean according to Jewish law. One of the hard parts of this system is that when a clean person touched an unclean person, it made that clean person unclean as well. On this point, Ortland says moral dirtiness is contagious. But this is also why in Luke chapter 10, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, perhaps you remember this one, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, they picture a priest and a Levite, and they're depicted as having gone around a man that was on the road and fell prey to the hand of thieves, beaten and left for dead, that when they came across him, they went to the opposite side of the road because they didn't want to risk being made unclean by getting too close on their way, wait for it, to worshiping God. They didn't want to take a risk to be made unclean. Now, I want you for a second to consider the actions of Jesus in comparison. According to the law, Jesus is the cleanest person to have ever walked the face of the earth. He was the clean one. See, we cannot begin to fathom the sheer purity, the holiness, the innocence, or the cleanness of the heart of Christ and the mind of Christ. And what did Jesus do when he saw the unclean among them? What was his first impulse when he came across the prostitute? and the paralytic, the leper, and the lame, and all the rest deemed unclean by the Jewish system. Well, he moved toward them. He spent time with them. He touched them. He healed them. When Jesus king of the universe the clean one touched an unclean sinner he did not become unclean (laughs) it's pretty amazing in fact as a result of Jesus's touch the sinner became clean why because a big part of Jesus's earthly ministry was all about giving back humanity to the undeserving sinners, to the people who least deserved it. And it was revolutionary. Changed the course of history itself. Wrongs made right. The kingdom of God, a future reality and realm that we long for here on earth, that we now get to experience in part, in in glimpses, breaking in to the present, carrying with it the aroma of a future reality. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound amazing? And perhaps you're here today and you're thinking maybe to yourself, yeah, it does. But Justin, that was so long ago. That was then, this is now. Look around you. Look at our world. Look at, look at what is allowed to happen. Well, friend, I've got news for you today. Uh, really good news. And it's this news that because the collective message of the New Testament shows us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's really good news He is unchanging in his nature and in his character. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. And the thing that will ultimately persuade you and me to this reality, maybe for the first time, or maybe for the hundredth time, but you need to hear it because you're tired. The thing that will persuade us this reality is by first knowing that these aren't some actions that just happened 2,000 years ago. That Jesus was compassionate 2,000 years ago. That's what he did back then. But this is how Jesus feels about you today. Right now. Let me ask you this question. Are you aware of Jesus' compassion for you today? Are you aware that he looks at you, if you come to him with a need, he looks at you the same way he did when he looked into the eyes of the people on that shoreline that day? Moved with compassion towards those who have a need for him. Are you willing to come today to Jesus with your needs? Because that's all that it says that is required. The gentle and lowly Jesus will meet those who come to him with a need. This is the prerequisite for coming to the gentle, lowly Jesus. You have to come. You have to have a need. And you came because you had a need. So you know... We're, we're only two weeks into this series about who Jesus is. And one of the things that's been a little challenging for me as I've read, as I've reflected, is that I found myself thinking more than a few times, man, I'd really like to be more like that. I'd like to have a heart that is more regularly moved with the compassion that I'm reading about in the Gospels. Would you? It's really challenging. I mean, these revelations about who Jesus is are are magnificent, they're great. They're really helpful. But they're, they're so convicting. And they're so revealing of where we still have a long way to go, I still have a long way to go in my pursuit of becoming more like that. But this is why, and Sean alluded to it earlier today, this is why the faith community is so vital so vital. Guys, when we showed up here today, just to be able to see you in this room was an encouragement to my heart. It was an encouragement to my faith. This is is meant to do that. This is not just a service that we attend on a Sunday morning checkbox, obey Jesus. Guys, this is meant to bring us life. Some of you have walked in here today with heavy hearts. Some of you have walked in here today rejoicing. Jesus meets both of us. He meets both of us because he's the only one who can do that. So are you tired today? Do you need to hear again? Because that's what the church does when it gathers. It proclaims and recites the gospel to one another. We need to hear that again and again and again. We need each other to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Jesus created this for that purpose, to remind each other of the grace that has been freely shown to us. I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to move towards me today. And I recognize that part of how that works, part of how that happens, is that I got to come. I got to show up. I got I to gotta enter in with you and Jesus will look at me and he'll look at you with the same eyes of compassion. And he'll meet the same need that you have. I want to end with a hymn that kind of spurs this, you know, spurs this idea on, that kind of reminds us of this truth. This is written in 1834. It's printed on the beginning of the book. It's a hymn that was written by a guy named H.F. Light. And it goes like this. Father like he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame, he knows. In his hand, he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.